Oh, here we go. This is a really spicy one. This is the Not The Top 20 podcast. League One, 1-24 to pre-season predictions podcast sponsored by Betfair. And this is massive because George Ellick, League One is utter carnage. I can tell you that already and it hasn't even started. I'm calling it the League of Expectation. There are probably around 10 teams who reckon or their fans reckon should be top six There are probably another eight teams who think they're at least top half, maybe a playoff push. Now, that math does not add up. You cannot have 18 teams in the top half. You cannot have 10 teams in the top six. George, this is both terrifying and exciting. There's going to be a lot of noses put out of joint here. When I do my research for these 1-24s, to I go through each team, spend a long time looking at every aspect of the club. Managers, transfer, dealings, squad depth. And then I write like a contextless league position where in my head I'm like, this is a team that will finish about here. And then at the end, I sort them all. So it comes out with like a kind of mashed up uh, table. And I think I had 15 top 10 teams. I only had four teams in the bottom half, which is going to make this really difficult. Um, And for anyone who hasn't listened to the League Two pod yet, I, I make the same point there, but this is even more the case. But I think if we went over to every single a fan from every single club and said, where do you think you're going to finish this season? I reckon the most negative fans would probably say 18th. So we are going to have, what, six teams finishing below where the most negative fan is going to be. Someone has to finish there. So when you are convinced that we are wrong about your side, some of you are going to be wrong. So let's hope that we are the ones who get a couple of them right. This podcast is sponsored by Betfair. We're delighted to have agreed a season-long deal with Betfair as exclusive podcast partners of Not The Top 20 podcast. We enjoyed working with them for our playoff previews and we're delighted to say that the next nine months we are together making the same content as ever before. We are not changing the way that we cover the EFL, but we have the support of Betfair and it's going to allow us to do some really exciting things over the next nine months. So please make sure you're subscribed. We promise that we will make this the best season yet on this podcast. We've got a huge giveaway for listeners of these 1-24 to podcasts. We are buying one lucky listener a season ticket for the coming season. Big, really, really big. We want to reward a fan, maybe someone who has not been able to buy a season ticket for themselves yet. We want to make sure that one of you who wins this will be going to every single home game that you can get yourself to this season. Details at the very end of the podcast and we hope that you'll get involved in what we think is a really special giveaway. So... Time to get into our League One, one to twenty fours. We start in twenty fourth, George, and we start in twenty fourth place with Cambridge United, who were one of the stories of the twenty twenty one season, achieving a, a remarkable promotion from League Two, one that I don't think anyone saw coming, and we certainly did not. Uh, a, a a rookie manager performance like no other, perhaps, from Mark Bonner. Now. It's very hard for me to predict anything but relegation, I'm afraid. Although it was an incredible achievement and I really enjoyed watching Houlihan setting up Paul Mullin and they weren't the only key players in this team. They were an excellent unit in general. My suspicion is this is a team that I don't think will translate very easily to the level above, especially without their 30 goal striker who took like half of their shots that season. Um, This was a side that got absolutely everything from the squad that they had. 
in a way that I'm not sure is is sustainable this season. I think also there's going to be new challenges, new tests for Mark Bonner specifically. Everything has been hunky-dory, you have to say, so far. How will Mark Bonner cope with a potential struggle? It's, it is very likely that they are going to come up against a lot of teams in this division who will look to dominate. They are going to be the underdogs, let's be clear, in many of their matches. How will that suit his style, both tactically and in terms of his man management? Now, I like Mark Bonner's temperament. I really like the way he managed his squad last season. I like the way he explains his decisions and his strategy. But how will he and the club react if the going gets tough? That has to be a big question mark. Of course, the departure of Paul Mullen is the most eye-catching of all. He scored so many goals last season. And as I said, it's not just the goals, but he really was just a gigantic part of their attacking output. They weren't a team that spread the goals around across five or six players. It really was Mullin and then Ironside and then a big drop off to the next one. So trying to replace him will be very difficult. They will have to get goals, more goals from elsewhere. Um, Wes Hulahan, I'm still very excited about. To be honest, it looked like he was playing a different sport at times in League Two. I'm really excited to see young Jensen Weir, who is the son of Davy Weir. Uh, he's on loan from Brighton, where his dad is the uh, loans manager, formerly of Wigan. And I can't fault really what they've done in the transfer market. Um, the likes of James Brophy and Sam Smith and Shiloh Tracy. These are guys with upside. These are guys who, if they do go back down to League Two, they could look in a very strong position. But I am worried about them in what I think is an incredibly tough division. I wasn't that convinced in their promotion campaign. And therefore, it's hard for me to predict that they would be outside these bottom four places. Next up in 23rd spot, this team, if they do finish 23rd, will be falling five places. They finished 18th last season. It's Plymouth Argyle, George. There might be some eyebrows raised given how many nice things we've said, particularly about their manager, Ryan Lowe, over the last few years. Why do we have Plymouth Argyle quite so low? They were probably the worst team in League One for the last 15, 20 games of last season. Uh, and it was a run of form that had me going from basically saying that Ryan Lowe was the manager who I would appoint in the championship, to not necessarily having question marks about him, because I don't think it all falls on him, but maybe just making me realise this is an Argyle team who are quite far behind where we thought they'd need to be to be a mid-table side. Um, not a great deal has changed in terms of, of what they've done in the transfer market yet. I mean, they've lost a couple of players um, who got a lot of game time, who I don't think be massive losses, like Frank Nubler's gone to Colchester, Ben Reeves gone to Gillingham. Will Amson is clearly the the biggest loss, who's moved on to Bolton and was very good for them last season in what was a pretty porous defence, and especially towards the back end of the season, they were unable to keep teams out. Plymouth fans, Argyle fans, were pointing at their, at their firepower, and there's no denying that Nile Lennis, uh, Luke Jeffcott and Ryan Hardy is, is pretty good going for for three League One strikers. I'm, I'm particularly keen on Ennis, as I know you are too, Ali. I think that the decision not to cash in on, on Jeff Kurt in January was, yeah, it, it hasn't aged too well. I, I wouldn't be banking on Jeff Kurt returning to the kind of goal-scoring form that we saw him in. I think what we saw there was a, a massive purple patch in the similar vein, although over a long, longer period, to, to Max Waters, who, of course, Crawley did cash in on. And just looking through their squad now, it just looks fairly thin. I can't... I mean, they've signed Ryan Broom today on loan from Posh, which which is fine. It's a decent signing. He was he was pretty good at Burton for the back end of last season. But I'm not seeing enough in what they've done over the summer to suggest to me they've gone from being, for 
months one of the poorest teams in, in the division I don't see why they would improve past that now Lowe is still a manager that I have a high hopes for and have some faith in I think if they are going to do it it will be down to him but if you're asking me right now what Ryan Lowe's par is what he can do in order to to say job well done it's finishing out the relegation zone and when the league is so much stronger um I, I just don't really see how you'd be able to have much confidence in Plymouth Argyle putting that poor form at the back end of last season behind them uh, and going to this one with more optimism. It's 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 so competitive. Next up we got Fleetwood in twenty second spot. Now they, they finished fifteenth last season. Uh, it was a season in which uh, Joey Barton left. Simon Grayson came in. I think did a good job to steer them towards the end of the season. Um, stayed away from from anything particularly dangerous. And we've mentioned it a few times on the podcast. There's a, a feeling that I must admit is is certainly not confirmed, and I haven't seen anything really spoken publicly about. But just the way that we've watched Fleetwood over the last eighteen months since COVID, really, it looks to me like they've started to move backwards a little bit um, on the footballing front and more specifically perhaps on the funding uh, side of things they had an impressive squad for League One a squad that, that would have come with a decent size wage bill Fleetwood is a small club that does not generate a lot of its own revenue and in the last 18 months and particularly uh, last season from January onwards we saw a lot of the players that you would expect to be high earners moved on. Chad Evans and Paddy Madden were two big examples of that. And generally, those high earners uh, have, have continued to move on this summer. They've lost a lot of players from last season. In fact, only seven players remain that played more than 1,200 minutes in the league, which, to give you an idea of how much that is, that is 13 90-minute games. Only seven players that played more than that last season. Now, I'm just a little bit worried that this squad is skewing younger, less experienced, has lost quality and does not have much depth. There are some good players here and I'm really excited to see young midfielder Jay Matete who was on loan at Grimsby in the second half of last season. I would love to see him put in similar performances in League One as he did at the end of that League Two campaign with Grimsby. And the strikers Ryan Edmondson and Callum Morton, two loanees, I'm interested to see how they go. I don't think either of them is a guaranteed good thing just yet. But I like qualities of both of them. And maybe they could be quite a tidy front two. Grayson is hard to judge because he's vastly experienced. Uh, some of his jobs in more recent times have not gone particularly well. And I can't quite get a grasp on how good a fit he will be for Fleetwood. He could be an excellent fit and steer them comfortably to survival. But I worry that in this desperately competitive league Fleetwood are moving backwards a little bit and I think they might fall short this season so we've got them going down in 22nd place just above them George in 21st the last relegation spot I think a team it's probably fair to say that we wouldn't have guessed we would have in the relegation zone before doing our pre-season research if that makes sense mm. Shrewsbury Town yeah the squad is very very thin as it stands at the moment, <clears throat> at the time of recording. And I think unlike other teams where we can be confident on who they're going to bring in, um, I don't know if that's necessarily the case with, with Shrewsbury in terms of the quality. There have been good moments this summer. I think signing Matthew Pennington on a on a, a permanent deal after his good loan spell last season is good. Luke Lee, he brings uh, certainly a set-piece talent, even if I'm not entirely sure on his defensive capabilities. Um, they brought Ryan Bowman in, who, as I mentioned in the League Two pods, I don't think Ryan Bowman is a, is somebody who'll score goals in a team that don't create chances. And that has been Shrewsbury's issue in the fairly recent past. Of course, Steve Cotterill and the story around Shrewsbury this season, 
I think will have us all having Shrewsbury as our second team <laughs> coming up because boy does Steve Cottrell deserve some luck and some success after what he's been through. I don't know if anybody saw the interview with him um, that, with BBC Sport quite recently where he, he basically admitted that he went to sleep one night hoping he was going to wake up in the morning and that's a hell of a thing to go through and incredibly Shrewsbury had amazing success with him whilst he was managing them from a hospital bed so for that reason we've got to hope that that it's going to be okay but you know I can't sit here we can't sit here thinking um you know thinking with our heart rather than our heads when we're analyzing this stuff and you know Harry Chapman is another player who was their best player last season on loan from Blackburn who's gone back and, and probably won't be returning it's just hard to really make a case for them being uh operating and it's kind of the same as Argyle I think they have to improve on last season in order to to get themselves out of this mess given the strength of the league and the, the squad being as thin as it is at the moment um, the business they've done I'm not entirely sold on you know if you were talking to me now about how many goals Ryan Bowman will get I'm pretty sure Shrewsbury fans will be saying he'll get 15 plus I'd be pretty surprised if he were to do that um, yeah I'm, I'm concerned I'm, I hope I'm proven wrong um, I really hope that, that Cotterill is uh, has that success but looking at it at the moment I think their first aim has to be to avoid relegation so the four teams we have getting relegated are Cambridge Plymouth Fleetwood and Shrewsbury with Betfair Sportsbook Cambridge are six to five for the drop Plymouth 130 Fleetwood the biggest price of the four are seven to two and Shrewsbury three to one so those are the relegation prices for the four teams we have going down in our one to 24s in league one with Betfair Sportsbook and just above the relegation zone we have Morecambe FC uh, surviving in League One, the highest they've ever been in the English football pyramid. Uh, we could probably dedicate a whole hour to Morecambe, uh, and that's just the summer alone, because I think you all know about their magnificent end to last season, uh, their triumphant playoff campaign, with a bit of luck, I think it's fair to say. And you probably know as well that almost immediately, their manager, Derek Adams, who took a lot of the credit for that promotion, left them to stay in League Two with Bradford City. They also lost a player that we have spoken about a lot over the last two seasons in Carlos Mendes Gomez. He was sold to Luton for a very, very good fee. And it's fair to say Morecambe have taken a very proactive approach to building a squad to mitigate against the departure of their transformative manager and, well, their star attacker, as well as a couple of other players they've lost from last season. Their manager is Stephen Robinson. And it's not that we haven't research Stephen Robinson. It's not that we haven't looked into the job that he did for three years or so at Motherwell, but I don't think it would be fair for me or George to put down many judgments on how we think Stephen Robinson will respond to this task of, of keeping Morecambe in League One, because I don't really have a very good steer on that. What we do think is impressive is how they've responded to the circumstances that they've been dealt. I think the squad building has made a lot of sense. They've brought in a goalkeeper on loan from Reading in Anderson, uh, who I think will be a good shot stopper at the level. Cooney, their right back from last season, in on a permanent. Defenders in O'Connor and Delaney and Mensa, a fullback on the left side in Lee. In midfield, they've really strengthened on paper, at least. McCalmont and Adam Phillips in on loan. Uh, McLaughlin, who's a solid League One player previously at Wimbledon. McPake, brilliant on loan last year in League Two with Harrogate. Then some ball-carrying wide men to try and replace Mendes Gomez, Arthur Nahua and McDonald, Wes McDonald, formerly of Walsall. These guys are not proven at League One level. Very few of these players are, but they are players that we 
whose qualities we can understand and I think they make sense for the sort of football that Morecambe might have to play. I think they're going to have to defend pretty sturdily and I think they've got a solid enough unit of defenders and midfielders in order to do that. But then they, they will need to have quality on the counter-attack and I think they can do that. Stockton was a brilliant target man for them last season. It remains to be seen how many goals he will be able to score at League One level where he's never plundered them before. But they've got some foil for him. Jonah Ayunga and Jonathan Obika have come in. So I just really like the squad building. I think that if you're going to get a surprise promotion based off one incredible season, this is a chance for them to transform the mid to long term future of Morecambe. And I think they're doing it the right way because they're not just sticking with the same squad and, and, and treating it like a free hit. Like, oh, if we go down again, that's fine because no one expected us to stay up. They're actually trying to build a squad of players that is robust, hopefully, for League One, but certainly will be in League Two if they go down. And they could go down back to League Two in a completely different shape to any Morecambe side we've ever seen previously, a bit like what I said about Cambridge. So this is a club who has been predicted to be relegated by the majority of people for about eight seasons in a row. Instead, they never suffered relegation. They went up a division. We're backing them to do it one more time and stay up in League One this season. George, just above them, team that they came up with, the champions, in fact, of League Two, is Cheltenham Town under Mike Duff. Yeah, Cheltenham, um, and this is, is, is massively down to Duff, I think. I think stylistically, there's an argument to say that the way that Duff plays football might even be more suited to a relegation battle than a promotion battle. You know, they have been one of the most consistent, uh, probably the most consistent side in League Two over two years uh, and eventually won uh, League Two last season. But the the consistency of their performance level and their ability to create chances despite taking very few risks, maximising the marginal gains with the, you know, the ridiculous Bentoza long throw and their set-piece proficiency as well. It all lends itself to me to suggest that no matter who they're playing, their performance level won't dip and therefore teams are going to be have to, have to be at their best to beat them. And that's a massive compliment to Mike Duff. You know, in, in a way that I don't think we can say that about Cambridge in, in a similar way. Cambridge's victories were so you know, blood and thunder, basically. There, it was a case of we're going to try and score more goals than you and we're going to happily concede chances at the other end. With, with Cheltenham and Duff, it's meticulously planned to an extent that you're going to have to be very, very good to beat them. And that's going to fit in here. Um I just I struggle to see why a team who've kept the majority of their players that they needed. I, th- I mean, looking at the squad itself, it's a little bit thin in areas. They need to bolster, especially in midfield. But Duff has a track record with getting in loan signings that is so strong that I'm, I'll be pretty amazed if we don't see that coming in the next few days. And, con- and consistently over the last two years has done what he's done with a pretty small squad as well. Alfie May staying at the club for the time being is massive as is the aforementioned Toza, but the key one is probably William Boyle as well, who's been linked to a couple of League One clubs and a couple of championship clubs as well. With those three, the Toza, uh, Boyle and Raglan, the third one, um, as as the defensive unit, it just seems unlikely to me that they're going to be conceding many goals, even against the the step up in quality. And therefore that area between mid-table and and relegation just seems, I'll be pretty bullish on them (laughs) occupying one of those if not better rather than worse. Would the main concern when it comes to Cheltenham be the potential for Mike Duff to cash in on his exceptionally high credit in the in the English football pyramid as a young manager who ticks so many boxes? Would that be a concern for him to have his head turned, to be poached, and for a, a side whose 
fortunes over the last two years have been intrinsically linked, stuck to their manager, their transformative manager, for them to potentially suffer if that does happen. Yeah, I, I guess so. But we can't factor that into our thinking. But yes, it is a, it is a concern. I suppose the good thing is if he gets a job in October or November, it probably means they've started off the season fairly well. I was on the receiving end of this last season when you know we, we, had, Bol- we had Burton bottom of League One. I had a financial interest myself and then you know, Jake Buxton, who was quite a big reason why we had that prediction, leaves and suddenly they finish 15th. It's difficult. Uh, I mean, he's obviously totally deserving of a, of a, a job higher up the leagues. Um, just hope for our sake that he, he sticks it out this season. Right, next up is Gillingham. This is a bit of a drop for Gilles. They finished 10th in League One last season. Uh, we've got them in 18th. They had a really strong second half of last season. They really enjoyed being the party poopers for teams above them, but they they got a lot out of a few attacking players, most notably Jordan Graham, their wide man, uh, and, of course, Big Verdane Oliver, who, a little bit like Paul Mullin, to a lesser extent, um, had the goal-scoring season of his life, having barely reached double figures before. Uh, he really hit a rich vein of form in a way that's quite exciting for this season. I mean, it is a drop of eight places, and yet I'm not really negative about Gillingham. I think we're going to keep repeating this until we're blue in the face. I think it's a reflection on, on how strong we think the league is this year, how difficult it is. I think Gillingham find it difficult to compete wages-wise with other teams at this level. Steve Evans is always keen to point out that they have the lowest budget in the division. I think it would be difficult for him to say that with a straight face uh, this season. Uh, most excitingly for me is, is seeing goalkeeper Jamie Cumming on loan from Chelsea, who was brilliant with Stevenage uh, last season. I look forward to seeing how he steps up a level. Uh, of course, all of the current England goalkeepers plied their trade early on, on loan uh, in League Two, in League One, sometimes in the National League as well. So when you see these young keepers, they are worth keeping an eye on for sure. They signed Reese Bennett, who was good with Carlisle last season. They've got Max Aimer back, who was a former fan favourite. Didn't work out for him at Bristol Rovers, it's fair to say. I like the signing of Ollie Lee as well. Uh, he had a good second half for them, uh, Gillingham, that is, on loan last season. I basically think that Evans does brilliantly with what he has, and I think he's the perfect fit for Gillingham. They're the most direct side in the league, or they were last season, and they were very, very effective with it. But I just think they're going to find it more difficult this season. I think there might be an extent to which having such an extreme style of play can wear off in terms of its effectiveness uh, in the next season. Uh, and I just worry that the quality of the division will knock them down a bit. So down in 18th, Gillingham. Um, and above them, George in 17th. This one's one of the most interesting ones to place in the whole division. Burton Albion, you mentioned... You mentioned that in January they were at the bottom. Well, from the moment Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank arrived, it turned around, didn't it? 1.83 points per game after he joined, which is high playoff level numbers. Now, the data itself didn't really reflect it. It was very low margin stuff. They were nicking tight games. They were on the right side of those games more often than not. He had one very busy transfer window in January and it really paid off. He's had another very busy transfer window this summer. Why are we not buying into Burton Albion as sort of playoff dark horses? I don't think the squad is as good as it was after January. I, th- I think the, the signings that they made um, and the players that they've lost haven't necessarily been replaced with better. Um, you know, we've seen Sean Clare get a fairly big money move to Charlton on the back of his performances for them in the back end of last season. I mentioned Ryan Broom earlier, who was who was fine. I mean, they had so many players coming through at that time. Um, and you look at who's come in you know, Lewis Malt has flattered to deceive, I think, for, for quite a while. Oshelage is the one at centre-back who could be a, a, a shrewd acquisition, I guess. Um, Ellery Balcom's come in 
I mean, they've got they're pretty well stocked in in goal, but he scares me a lot. A goalkeeper who on loan at uh, Doncaster last season made a lot of good saves, but made some like absolute howlers, uh, as you'd expect from a young keeper. But yeah, I, I, if I was a a fan of a team with, with him in goal, I'd, I'd be hoping to see those kind of cut out pretty quickly. And then you look at Hasselbank himself, and you ask yourself, do we take the performance of Burton last season to mean that Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank is is you know is Midas? Is he the guy who can who can just turn up and turn this around? And as you mentioned, the data didn't really reflect it. I think the manager in charge, you know, you look at the players who've been released, which is a, a you know brilliant news for for um, Burton. You know, you've got the likes of Erdley, John Joe O'Toole, Luke Varney. I mean, these are players who are in their mid thirties who are you know it was his proper dad's army team at the beginning of last season. And I think Hasselbank might be a bit flattered by what he took over. I don't think it was too hard to improve on it. Obviously, what they did was incredible. I'm not denying that at all. I just think expectations being risen from being quite comfortably the worst team in the league to having a run, an unsustainable run, to get them into mid-table, to expect them to then kick on again and go further than being that mid-table mediocrity, especially as I, as I just don't think the team is as good as it was in April, March. Uh, is a step too far. I, I Again, this is a classic case of, I don't think this is a negative prediction. I think this is a, a fair reflection on where they are and how far they've progressed under Hasselbank. Maybe in, in a year's time, we'll be, we'll be getting more excited. Above them in 16th, uh, a team who were involved in a relegation scrap with Burton, although Burton pulled away from it in the last few months. At Wimbledon, also pulled away from it and achieved safety with a really strong finish to last season. We've got them in 16th. Uh, what do you like about Wimbledon? Loads, I think. I mean, I, there, there are parallels, if not as striking, between Wimbledon and Burton in that Mark Robinson came in. And I think whilst it wasn't quite as striking as the Hasselbank um, turnaround in form, slowly but surely it happened. And by the end of the season, AFC Wimbledon were a far, far better side than they've been under, under Glyn Hodges. Uh, in my opinion, and you look at the um, the data side of the things again, in the last eight matches last season in uh, League One, Wimbledon were fourth with a 1.79 XG4 per game. Over the last 12 matches, again, third, 1.78 XG4. I think Robinson had found a way to get this Wimbledon team into a proper attacking unit, playing great football, creating chances at will. Yes, they've lost um, Joe Piggott, which is significant. Um, because I don't think he's a striker who necessarily only scores if he's given the service like Ryan Bowman. I think he's a proper, good League One marksman who is very, very capable and will probably score a lot of goals wherever he goes now. Having said that, I'm excited to see Aaron Presley. I think the the move to get him in on, in on loan from Brentford, um, he is very, very highly regarded. It's a big ask in his first loan, but given the, the kind of numbers they've been posting, he is somebody that I am excited to see what he can do Asal had an amazing second half of the season Ayub Asal um, and they've got loads of just exciting young talent who are coming through Jack Radoni another one who's got a lot of games under his belt just seems to me like a really positive place at the moment a place that's just moving in the right direction a little bit more um, transfer savvy can we say as well I'm excited I mean there's as I said pressure on them for goals I think this is going to be a season you know we've got them in 16th so it's not overly positive but I think this is a season where we're going to see FC Wimbledon develop into a side who can go a lot further than being a team who just need to survive basically at the end of each season 
Next up, we got Crew Alexandre in, in 15th. They are a really tricky one to place, I think, Crew, um, because they are a team with, with a lot to like. I think it, it's fair to start there. Um, last season, they had the second best expected goals numbers from open play in the league, so brilliant attacking process. They had the fifth highest possession in the league. They've always played a certain way, and they've brought through a certain technical type of player, which makes them brilliant to watch, um, very exciting, uh, and they still have a lot of young talent. So I'm really excited for Charlie Kirk to improve again. Uh, his first season in League One went brilliantly. He was still a creative force, and I think he could get better. Uh, Owen Dale might be the big one, might be the star man this season. He was another that really caught the eye last season, scored 11 goals from wide areas, some of them really important. And of course, they've still got the likely lads of, of Tommy Lowry and Callum Ainley, uh, Ollie Finney as well. Uh, a couple of younger players coming through at the back end of the pitch. Rio Adebisi, could he be the next fullback off the production line after the success of Pickering and Perry and G? I hope so, because he looks very lively indeed. And I'm hoping to see centre-back Luke Offord, 21-year-old. If he can stay fit for a full season, I think he might be the next cab off the rank next summer because young centre-backs with a lot of game time under their belt are always tempting propositions for clubs in the leagues above. The big thing that holds me back is that they have lost three players in the space of seven months that I think are top-level championship players. That is Harry Pickering, Perry and G, and Ryan Wintle as well, who joined Cardiff this summer. These guys were so important to Crew's success over the last two or three seasons. So in League Two, for example, Wintle and Pickering and G, the three players in the whole of the division who had the most touches and played the most passes per game. They controlled matches and it was through those three players. Wintle dropping deep at the base of midfield, Pickering and G so comfortable on the ball in wide areas and able to move the ball forward up the pitch when Wintle didn't have the chance to do that. So if I think those guys are top-level championship players and they, they, have, they have lost those three over the last seven months, it's difficult for me to imagine them getting better than they were previously. It's not to say they haven't brought players in, because they have. I'm particularly excited about the right-back on loan from Southampton, Kane Ramsey, who looks like he could be very exciting going forward as well. I'm just not sure they're going to be able to control games in the same way, which I think means they may need to adapt the way they attack. I'm not saying that David Artel doesn't have that in him to switch it up a bit, but it's just it, it might look a little bit different because I'm not sure they're going to be able to do exactly what they've done the last few years. And Mandron was their top scorer with 12 last season. Dale, as I mentioned, with 11. You'd ideally want someone to, to pick up that goal-scoring mantle. And Chris Long, having signed this summer is not screaming, you know, smash hit for me. So I hope I'm wrong because I love watching crew play. And, and this does demonstrate we think they're dropping a few places, um, but we've got them in 15th. Above them, George Doncaster Rovers had a bit of a weird one last season. Now Richie Wellens is at the helm looking to steady the ship. Yeah, and that's a positive in my view. I know he's had a funny season <clears throat> having left Swindon to go to Salford, then losing the Salford job. But I think he takes his place, his rightful place of being at a side to have lofty aspirations uh, over the next couple of the se a couple of seasons in League One and hopefully a bit of stability for him as well because given his jobs <laughs> he's taken jobs at Oldham uh, Swindon and then the revolving door at Salford as well I think now hopefully he can actually build something uh, sustainable whether that's going to be this season as you can tell by our prediction of, of 14th it feels like a, a transition season like a consolidation season I'm really happy that they're not going to be as reliant on loans as they were last season now obviously that in the short term is a blow because Taylor Richards um, Tyrese John Jules Matt Smith Josh Sims 
these were their best players last season and they've gone, which can't be a good thing. But I like the way they're starting to recruit. Um, I think Hawula, I'm excited to see getting first team football again in League One. Ben Close is a quite a smart pickup. Matt Smith, who of course was at Swindon last season, who Swindon fans loved. Uh, different Matt Smith to the City one who they had last season. The Arsenal Matt Smith is there. Carl Noyle is a very smart signing indeed. No Coppinger. Um, I don't think that's going to have much impact on the pitch, but off pitch, um, I'm sure he'll still be knocking around, so it shouldn't make too much of a difference. Reese James, the biggest loss of those um, on a permanent basis. But Wellens is just, he's a very smart operator. I, In a similar way to Duff, I cannot see a world where Doncaster with him at the helm and those players I've just mentioned brought in. And you know the squad right now is, is ready to go. They don't need, I'm sure they'll bring one or two in, but in terms of depth, they don't need anything. They're absolutely fine. I'd be amazed if with Wellens there with a full pre-season and some of his players already in if they were sucked into any kind of relegation fight I think they're going to be fine I think they're going to build on this um, because as good as those lone players were and as great as it was at sometimes to watch you know John Jules and, and Taylor Richards buzzing off each other uh, it's not a way to build a, a sustainable model and, and a, a sustainable way to run a club that can progress year on year and that's hopefully what we're going to start seeing from Donny. Above them, rounding out the bottom half, we've got Accrington Stanley finishing 13th. They were 11th last season. Uh, their manager, John Coleman, I think is perhaps the best manager in the whole division, which is saying quite a lot because there are some pretty big names at, at this level. There are some guys who have had some pretty big success and some recent promotions on their CV. But I think if you look at everything as a whole, pound for pound, it's John Coleman for me because management isn't just about those incredible seasons where everything clicks and you are promoted in the top two, top three in League Two or, or through the playoffs. Management is about as much about growing a club and, and gradual improvement, c- consistent, sustainable improvement. And when it comes to that, there is no one better than, than John Coleman. He ticks pretty much every box for me in terms of player development, what he's been able to do on a very tight budget in terms of recruitment, often from non-league. It's sometimes a bit hit and miss. If you look at the loanees they had last season, for example, there were quite a few of them. Actually, none of them really had a, a particularly big impact, but that's okay because you don't get every transfer right anyway. He's clearly a good man manager, has a, a strong grip on the dressing room um, and a, a, a good style of play, an effective style of play. Coleman's team's always attack pretty well. They might not be the most exciting to watch, but they're pretty effective. And generally, they're pretty good, solid at the back as well. They're a team who will play some nice stuff. They will shock some bigger teams. They'll also chuck in the odd shocker. I think if I'm to criticise Accrington, it's the, it's the occasions where you expect them to win. When they're at home to a relegation candidate, where often they let you down. But generally, they're very dependable. And I think they're a dependable mid-table team this season under John Coleman. So that's Accrington, Stanley, finishing in mid-table in 13th, George Let's move into the top half with Wickham Wanderers. Last season, they were, I said it at the time and got a few pelters there. I thought they were very unlucky to get relegated. That doesn't change the fact that in a lot of their games, they were widely outclassed. Um, but at the same time, given the what they were up against last season, to go as close as they did to staying up is a massive achievement. I was very concerned that Gareth Ainsworth wouldn't be there now. He is there and that is a huge plus. Having said that, I just don't think the club is in as strong a position after relegation as plenty other clubs who get relegated are. Now that is in part because I know you know the bud- budget wise the wage 
bill they have and the amount of money they've invested into their playing squad dwarfs where they were when they went up last and that's completely fair and also I'd just like to say that anybody who thinks that Wickham were undeserving of their playoff spot and talks about how they were dropping out of it just seems to forget that they'd won I think their last three games before football was stopped so that is not an argument but having said that it was still a ridiculous achievement to get there Um, and it was in a league that was fairly weak I would say at the time and coming down if, if Gareth Ainsworth is able to repeat that trick, I would be mightily impressed. Um, losing Uche Piazzu is a huge loss, who was such a key reason why they were so hard to play against last season. Fred Onyedinma, one of their other championship quality players, being picked up by Luton. I'd even go as far as saying that I think Darius Charles is, is something of a loss. Josh Knight as well was as a well. big, big loanee for on, on loan, which is, which is key. <sighs> Most fans seem to think their signings are very impressive. And I've seen a lot of um, Wickham fans getting quite excited by a few of theirs. I think Sully Kaikai is a really good signing, a really good addition, and I'm excited to see him. I don't think Josh Scowen is a player who I can see fitting in particularly well to the way that Wickham play, and he's been out of sorts and poor now for the best part of 18 months. And I think that Sam Vokes... I mean, Gareth Ainsworth is a master of getting the best out of, out of, out of players who've been underperforming, but... Vokes does not strike me as a player who can replace um, the array of attributes that Ipiazu brought to that target man role. Vokes hasn't been a good, a a successful footballer in the championship now for the best part of, well, probably over two years. Um, It was a poor spell at Stoke. Um, You and I saw him at Adams Park uh, at the beginning of the year in one of the pilot games uh, he was very poor um, but I'm sure <laughs> Gareth Ainsworth and Wickham will use our words as, their, as the um, the inspiration they need it's a long way from 24th to 12th so that, that's something uh, on then to 11th Bolton Wanderers yeah yeah I'm, I'm excited to see this I sort of frame this as what happens when you take a team that won 16 of its last 22 games in the league below you keep all the key players and the manager and you add a few more talented options. What happens when you place that team in the league above? That's what we're going to find out. I guess the reservations in terms of putting them this high or, or certainly in terms of, of anything even more exciting for Bolton are, are mostly in the penalty box. Uh, they didn't score many goals last season, only 59 in 46 games, which for an automatically promoted side is, is pretty low. I'm not sure they yet have one player, a number nine, if you will, to to really kick on uh, and grab the ball by the horns this season. Now, that's okay because you can spread goals around. There's much more to being a good team than having one good striker. But I would say that's an area of weakness. I think the other thing just to be aware of is because they didn't score many goals, a lot of those 16 wins in the last 22 games were tight affairs that they nicked with the odd goal. They had the talent advantage, certainly in the second half of the season, over their peers in League Two after some strong January additions. And maybe they won't have that this time round. So Ever is going to have to put in another brilliant managerial performance in order to reach 11th spot where we have Bolton. But this is a guy who in two full seasons so far, in the last two full seasons anyway, uh, with Barrow in the National League and then Bolton in League Two, has given us very little reason to suggest he is anything other than a a very, very good manager who over the course of a season, because of course they didn't start very well last time, will get a grip on things uh, and have his team playing good stuff and winning games. So we're feeling good about Bolton. It's great to have a strong, um, confident Bolton Wanderers who appear to be being run in a positive uh, in a positive manner. Great to have them back at this level and see no reason why they couldn't keep going and keep competing uh, and, and, and dream big, basically. So Bolton in 11th and above them, 
Sheffield Wednesday. Tenth position, George. Yeah, probably the hardest team to place, I think. Betfair have them as the second favourites for promotion at five to two. I, I can't see that at all. That seems to be based on reputation alone rather than anything else. Let's, I mean, we have to talk about the off-field issues first. I think uh, there is a suspended six-point deduction waiting. If Sheffield Wednesday fail to pay their players once over the course of the season, they'll be docked six points. They've lost loads and loads of players. Um, you know, we could list... The key ones, I think, are probably Tom Lees, Adam Reach, uh, Kieran Westwood, Moses Adebejo, Kadeem Harris. Yeah, not a problem in itself, that, is it? No, I mean, it's cutting costs and that there aren't many players there who've really covered themselves in glory. The transfers in, and I, I kind of am loath to say this, strike me as those classic deals that we've seen Sunderland, we've seen Ipswich bring in when they've come down to League One, where they get in a player who's been quite poor and in and, uh, and higher leagues who are quite big names and they're like, whoa, this is a serious signing for League One. And with my critical eye, I'm looking at them being like, no, they're not. Like, I do not think Lewis Wing is a very good signing, I'm afraid. He's a player who has a fantastic shot on him and he, boy, does he like to use it. Um, but is he a very good footballer consistently in terms of, of, of build-up play and the way to try and control games? I don't think so. Bailey Peacock Farrell, clearly a big name after playing a lot of football for Leeds in the Championship. I mean, he played a lot of football. Was he a very good keeper at Leeds? He absolutely was not. I mean, he's not a player that I would like to be in goal for me unless he's improved a lot since he's been at Burnley. Uh, Olamide Shadipo is a funny one, a player who I obviously know very well, who scored a lot of goals in a very short period of time at the beginning of of the season. By the end of last season, he wasn't getting in Oxford's starting lineup, and I think scored one in his last 20-odd games. Um, yeah, Jack Hunt, another one who's... These are just players who are, who are on, a, on a downward trajectory in terms of their of their career. Um, and, and I don't think that they're very good additions, personally. I mean, they're solid enough, but they're not additions that would be made by a team uh, fighting to get promoted. It certainly shores everything up and it gives them options and it's necessary because of the, you know, the the place they're in before and Darren Moore is certainly a very capable manager but I think they are quite a long way off the best teams in the league I think he's a he's the perfect manager to cope with the situation where the conditions are still not good to, to manage this football team let's be clear yeah. he seems to be very good at shutting out noise at not being phased by um, issues off the field and I think that translates into his players playing without pressure where otherwise that might exist. So I'm looking forward to seeing this side play. I think they I think they should play some much nicer football than we've seen Sheffield Wednesday play in the last few years in the Championship, that's for sure, and I'm looking forward to that. But as you say, that, that off-field stuff still lingers and we know that it undermines teams and, and wh- whether or not that suspended points deduction comes to fruition, there has to be a bit of concern about player motivation in terms of the ones left behind. You know, I think it's a positive, for example, that Iorfa and Barry Bannon and Joshua Windass are still Sheffield Wednesday players as we record. But you have to wonder whether these guys who have been treated pretty poorly as employees, quite frankly, are like really buzzing to be the faces of of the new Sheffield Wednesday. I don't think they're at that point yet where the corner has been turned. And I will probably have my reservations for as long as, as this ownership is at the helm. And we got Oxford next, George. This is ninth place now. Oxford obviously finished sixth. They nipped into the playoffs with an amazing, I was going to say a late run, but it's not true. They They just started so badly that I think from about 35 games to go, they were up there with Blackpool in terms of points tally picked up right at the top of League One. 
made it on final day uh, and then were beaten by that Blackpool side. Just not quite good enough uh, to compete with it with an impressive Blackpool side. And I, I find it difficult to place yellows. I'm interested to know how your sort of head and heart is aligned here or not. Um, you've been a playoff side the last two seasons, three seasons, two seasons, uh, an impressive League One side for the majority of two seasons with the same manager at the helm with a lot of similar players that we recognise as being quite talented players for the level, specifically the likes of Cameron Brannigan and James Henry and Matty Taylor. And yet, I don't know, I think we're both a little bit more conservative, a little more reserved than we would previously be. And I'm struggling to put my finger on why, particularly. Under Kai Robinson, Oxford have always been a team who will go on runs of being the worst team in the league and then pretty quickly soon after go on runs of being the best team in the league and um, normally with the same squad and you know testament to Carl and the job that he does is that normally when the season you know when the when the when the music stops they're in quite a good position so the good does definitely outweigh the bad and therefore it's hard to see Oxford being anything else other than you know in the up in the top half of the table even if not right towards the top um, the consistency is an issue, and it's something that I'm sure you know the club, you know, Carl will know about. Is that these poor runs uh, do come along, which which kind of hamstring the the plans. I, I think the the transfer business has been pretty much fine for Oxford. Losing Rob Atkinson was a is a big blow, um, and he hasn't been replaced yet, which is the bigger blow. And I think once he is feasibly with someone who. Uh, might not be, might not have the same ceiling as Atkinson, but it wouldn't surprise me to see Oxford get someone in who'll actually be better next season for them. Uh, Josh Ruffles out to to Huddersfield and Steve Seddon in looks to me like a like a bit of an upgrade. Um, so I think that the, the team is fine. They need a bit more depth um, in fullback areas, some cover. That centre back I mentioned, probably a centre midfielder. But the eleven as it is at the moment is is very good. And I think if Billy Bowden can stay fit for once, then they've got themselves an absolute gem of a League One player as well. So. I think last season, both me as a fan and you as a pundit were probably more uh, optimistic. Um, it feels to me like the, probably this Oxford squad is on a similar level to last season. But as we keep saying, the league has got stronger. Yeah, I think to reach the same levels, there are a few tweaks and none of them are out of the question. But I would say got to improve defensively compared to a lot of those teams that secured promotion or were towards the top of the table. You, you just never rated Oxford as being nearly as solid as those. And that's partly because of the way that Robinson likes to play. It's a very, very attacking style and it's great to watch. And, and they are a very good attacking team. But does that plan A approach, is that good enough to take you right to the very top of the league and to avoid those really big swings of form that, that that Oxford have. I think more consistency, as you mentioned, is important. But if they can avoid a, a terrible start, which you've had the last two seasons, then I'm sure we'd be feeling a, a little bit better if you're in good nick after sort of 12 games or so. Really interesting one. We've got Oxford in, in ninth place. And above them, George, we have got not a new member of the league, but a very much a new look to this Wigan side. A very exciting time in the period of the club with, we hope, touch wood, the previous ownership issues well and truly behind them and plenty of ambition being shown by the new ownership group. Massive ambition for Wigan. I mean, it's, it's got to be an exciting time to be a Wigan fan, I guess, isn't it? When talking about Wigan, it's hard, given the recent history, to stomach the reports of the amount of money that they are spending. Um, you know, the talk of 10 grand for Charlie Wyke. Sorry, 10 grand a week, I should say, for, for Charlie Wyke is a little bit troubling, of course. I mean, in, interestingly, last season on the Totally Football League show, Extra Time, we interviewed 
Dr. Tom Markham, who was, I think, I can't remember if he's a board member, if he was just a consultant in terms of the takeover. But it, it seemed from the way he was talking about the way they wanted the football club to be run, it became pretty evident to me straight away that this summer was going to be one where they made a bit of a splash because they seemed not only to be doing things the right way in terms of the way they were thinking about recruiting, but also had the the money to support it. Now, I don't necessarily think that spending 10 grand a week on Charlie White is particularly good business um, in terms of, of, of the money being spent for the outlay, but at the same time, you can't say it's bad and nicking a 30-goal seat striker off a, off a rival isn't the, isn't the worst thing to do. You've got to look at Liam Richardson, who deserves immense credit for the job he did last season in keeping Wigan up. But you look at the promotion calibre managers who he's up against this time, it's a completely different test um, compared to come up against sides week in, week out who are chopping and changing their manager every other week because they couldn't find anything that fit or was always working. I think Humphreys is a brilliant signing from Rochdale and a very smart piece of business. Pompey fans, again, will disagree with basically everything I say whenever I mention a player of theirs. Um, but I think Nader and Watmore is really solid. You know, these are two players who played a lot for a Pompey side who are barely ever out of the top seven, even despite the fact that the fan base thought the manager was doing a terrible job. Um, there's just, yeah, there's lots to like. There's loads of options uh, in the final third of the pitch. They probably need a bit more depth in terms of, of defensive players. Maybe this is a season too early. Although it doesn't, unlike other teams we've mentioned, who they feel like they're in a state of kind of flux or transition, the white deal suggests that they are intent on making that step up to being a promotion challenger pretty quickly. I'm not convinced they've, they're quite there yet, uh, as shown by us having them just outside the playoffs. We've got Portsmouth in seventh under the management of Danny and Nicky Cowley. They had a stint at the back end of last season, which was... A bit up and down, really, because, of course, they started brilliantly. I think they won their first four games 2-1. Uh, there was a real breath of fresh air vibe about their replacement of Kenny Jacket, the way they spoke about how they wanted to play, uh, the way that looked on the pitch with a lot more speed and intent and pressing. Uh, and then things fell away and it's difficult to put your finger on exactly how or why uh, that those early results weren't sustainable. But actually, by the time they missed the playoffs on final day after defeat to Accrington, um, it was a bit disappointing, to be honest. And it, and it kind of, the air was let out of the balloon somewhat. But the club saw enough in Danny and Nicky Cowley to give them the reins full time. And I think that's a, an excellent decision for the club in the mid to long term. Now, they have done a bit of a clear out. I think it's fair to say that as well as trying to be a breath of fresh air in the dugout, they wanted to refresh the squad somewhat, albeit they've kept some of their really key men, Marcus Harness and Ronan Curtis, the two wide forwards, two players that we rate very highly, who so far, just off the top of my head, don't feel like they've ever hit form at the same time. But if they do that, we could be in for something quite special here. I'm most excited to see what sort of football the Cowleys play here with Portsmouth because in different jobs so far uh, with Lincoln and with Huddersfield, we've seen a fairly similar approach to winning games and it's not always by dominating possession, pressing high, short passing. Sometimes it can be pragmatic. Sometimes it can be direct. Some of the things that are maybe Kenny Jacket qualities that didn't always go down well. So I think that's quite an interesting sort of overarching theme from from the outside looking in is is what sort of football Pompey will play 
just squad-wise, it feels to me like they need more uh, at the time of recording, and that's why we've got them just outside the top seven. They've made some interesting signings. A Bazunu, the young keeper on loan from Man City, was with Rochdale last season. Uh, he won't be quite as busy as he was with Dale, I think it's fair to say. Um, you've got Sean Williams, who comes in from, from Millwall with a lot of experience um, from the league above, but possibly not the most dynamic. Um, you've got Tunnicliffe in midfield as well. Clark Robinson signed from Rotherham. I don't think the recruitment has blown anyone away at this stage, put it that way. There is a bit of a wild card. Gassan Ahadme. Ahadme at hello, as I've been <laughs> saying in my head every single time I see his name. He joins on loan from Norwich and has been plundering the goals in, in pre-season. Now, I think they're going to need goals from him. I'm not sure that Harrison will be there any longer. I'm not sure we can rely on John Marquis at this point. Um, he was quite wasteful last season. Uh, and, and the same can be said for Jaden Reed, who's who could be a bit of a wildcard signing. So a lot of pressure on the shoulders of young Ahadme on loan from Norwich to score the goals. Uh, they just don't look like a, a complete side ready to challenge right at the very top yet. But I think between us both, we have a belief that Danny and Nicky Cowley, as managers of a club, are going to improve a club bit like what I was talking about with John Coleman earlier. So maybe it won't be extreme, maybe it won't be straight away, but I think this is a, a good place for them and a good appointment. So it could be a lot better than this, but so far we've got them just outside the playoffs, which means we now move into the top six, which oh is boy. exciting, George. I mean, as we mentioned, at least 12 teams who want to be in the top six, but there can only be six. We start with Nigel Adkins's Charlton. Mr. Positivity. Yeah, I mean, Nigel Atkins, I think it's easy to sleep on Nigel Atkins, basically. He is a very, very good League One manager. And I think you look at the signings they've made, it's all pretty good. I mean, they are a side, a club, I should say, who under Steve Gallen have had a very good recruitment record over the last two or three years anyway. Um, Craig McGillivray is, well, I know you thought was the best keeper in, in League One last season. George Dobson, again, Sunderland fans, close their ears, but he's not a bad player. You know, he's was playing in an environment at Sunderland where basically any centre midfielder that came through was seemingly um, not good enough. Uh, I think that the issue there might be something to do with, yeah, not Dobson necessarily. I think he we've seen previously at Walsall how good he can be and I'm, I'm sure that in this environment with a new start, he might flourish. Uh, for Maywell and Stockley, the two loanees from last season, really good to get that business done. Sean Clare is an interesting one. I mean, the, the fees that are being quoted seem quite toppy, but... At the same time, he really impressed at Burton last season and offers them something a bit different in the middle of the park. These are all good League One players. And, you know, whilst Chuck Snake is, is clearly a miss in terms of quality in the squad, he can never play. So um, it's it's very hard to pick any holes, I would say, in, in Charlton Athletics' chances this season. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I guess if I was holding them to really high standards, I might want to see a bit more quality added in the final third. Now that might well come uh, in the next few weeks. In fact, I'm sure it will. Adkins, I just like the fact that he had that little stint at the end of last season. The team improved under his management from where they were under Lee Bowyer. You know, I think they were a classic case of like, if the season had been four games longer, they probably would have made the playoffs. Excited about Mr. Positivity. Uh, excited about Charlton. Looking forward to getting down to the Valley at some point this season. Uh, we think they're going to be a playoff team. Sixth in our 1-24s. to And just above them, another playoff team from last season. George, they lost in the end in the final. Lincoln City, we got them in fifth. Yeah, I'm buzzing about Lincoln this season. Really? Uh, yeah, I really am. I mean, first and foremost, unbelievably good to see pictures of Michael Appleton back on back on the grass at training. Um, you know, he released a statement a couple of weeks ago about being diagnosed with testicular cancer. Um, 
just fantastic and I think can speak for yourself and me and from everyone else listening that um yeah just delighted to see him back hopefully he'll be back on the touchline for, for the beginning of the games because um they were very unlucky last season not to get promoted there were rumors that he was going to be moving on to West Brom I'm glad that he's still there and you know I spoke earlier about the reliance on loans at Doncaster and that is certainly an accusation that could be leveled at Lincoln last season because Morgan Rogers from Man City who came in in January was brilliant. Brennan Johnson was arguably the player of the season in the division as well and is already being touted as, as, as basically skipping Nottingham Forest and moving straight to the Premier League this season. So it's easy, it would be easy to be concerned about how they're going to replace them. But I think their business is really good. Um, they And George Grant, another one, sorry, who's left uh, on a permanent deal to, to Peterborough. I mean, Chris Maguire linking up again with, with Michael Appleton is on a personal note, bittersweet, but certainly in terms of the the set piece spe- uh, speciality of, of George Grant, the only person probably in League One who's better at set pieces than George Grant is Chris Maguire and they've got him in to fill that role and he's also just an excellent player for the way that Appleton likes to play in the final third. Hakeba Delican is another player that I really like, who I think given games and consistency could go a long way to replacing the role of Brennan Johnson, even if it's not particularly like for like. Sorensen in um, from Stoke in midfield, I think is a good signing. And then if there's any manager, any manager in the EFL who I'm happy just, when they, I see them getting a, a loan in from a big side, from a Premier League side, and I'm just like, yeah, I know this guy is going to be good. It is Appleton. And so seeing Fiorini coming in from Man City and then uh, Lundulu, who a lot of us saw playing for Saints in the Premier League last season in cameos, uh, coming in, I think, are both really exciting. And then Teddy Bishop, who is a player who was was touted for such great things at Ipswich over such a long period of time. Like so many of that Ipswich generation, it didn't really come to pass. But there's definitely a player in there. So I think the, the additions are as exciting as the departures, probably more to come as well. Um, and remember what Appleton said to us when we spoke to, him, spoke to him at the beginning of last season. He said he thought he needed a season with this group and then they would be even better. And he may have lost one or two big ones, but I think the recruitment again is going to see them come on. Might have made a rod for his own back with last season's <laughs> achievement, to be honest. And I think he was quite keen to point that out yeah, at, at every opportunity. I think Scully can have another good season. He's quite an unusual type of attacking player, Scully, I think, in, in some ways, in that he certainly doesn't have the, the skill and grace, I suppose, of, of some wide men. But he seems to have a knack for scoring goals, for making contributions in the penalty box in the final third. He's clearly a very hard worker. And and although because of Rodgers and Johnson, he kind of ended up with a spot on the bench during the playoffs in a way that, that felt a little harsh, but also was understandable. Well, I think he could step into to the, the void left by Brennan Johnson and maybe they could they could strengthen in other areas. So exciting stuff. We're looking forward to watching Lincoln this season. We're very much looking forward to MK Dons. That's who we have in fourth place, George. No surprise to regular listeners to the pod. We are big fans of Russell Martin. So quite a large caveat here. This is as long as Russell Martin remains MK Don's manager. Positive noises today on that note. So hopefully this won't age terribly in the next couple of days. It would be a shame to see him leave before achieving what we think that he can achieve with this MK Don side, which is a a position towards the top of this table. Uh, They became an excellent team, didn't they, in the second half of last season. And it was something that a lot of people saw coming because of the the building blocks they were putting in place in the first half of the campaign. Uh, Of course, they go for a very high possession 
um, style of play that has worked well at times. At, at, at other times, it didn't work so well. And they had issues in both penalty boxes, both in terms of finishing the chances that created when they did get into the final third and also in giving away soft goals. Now, the latter did improve a lot over the second half of the season. They're quite an interesting one because of the style that they play. It, it does look like a different sport at times to a lot of teams at this level. And maybe that's a reason why we're, we're pretty fond of them because I just love tactical diversity uh, and different ways of playing the game. But they faced the third fewest shots in the division, which is a great stat um, for your team defensively, but the ninth worst expected goals against record. Now that shows that it's a high risk, high reward strategy. They don't give up many shots, but because of the risks that they do take, the chances they do give up are pretty high quality chances. So um, that's something that they just need to tighten up on. I'm sure that's something they'll be working on pretty strongly. Look, it's hard not to get pretty excited by the recruitment as well, right? They've they've clearly got some people uh, in the recruitment team with their finger on the pulse when it comes to League One and League Two and, and finding value uh, and maybe picking up players who, are, who have been cast aside elsewhere. So Moisa and Max Waters, as the two strikers they brought in this summer, are pretty exciting on that front. Both real bagsmen, as we've seen uh, previous stints in their career, who will probably be put in a team that creates plenty of chances for them. Scott Twine will look to replace the goal output and creative output of Scott Fraser, who left the club to go to Ipswich. And we have high hopes for Twine, but they've just got some really exciting players. Um, the, the January signings, Harry Darling and Matt O'Reilly, um, were brilliant by the end of the campaign and can be, I think, key members of a squad that we expect to challenge right at the top. Uh, I guess the two things are, is it a tried and tested squad? No, it's not. Um, other teams around them will have more recognisable you know, names who have played more football at the top of League One. I don't think that phases us uh, particularly. And then the big question is they still need a bit of improvement in both boxes. But if you think it will click, if you think the pro the second year of the process is going to see more improvement, then I think you have to have them right up there, George. I think you have to have them right up there. MK Don's in fourth, in third, Sunderland. Interesting you mentioned the process mm. because I'm trusting a process here that we haven't really even seen yet. <laughs> I mean, with Sunderland, it's been three years of fairly abject underachievement, I would say. But I mean, arguably about 10 years. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Since since they've been in League One, yet they finished fifth last season despite a shocking run under Phil Parkinson. They finished third in their first season despite being fairly poor under Jack Ross. And they finished just outside the playoffs in the Cattell season where who knows where they would have finished. So whilst third might seem like a, an overambitious um, prediction for a side who again have cleared out so much dead wood I think the processes that have been put in place now with the new owner who finally has put in people to do their, their jobs at the right level you know you've got a Christian Speakman a very very well respected sporting director running things you've got Lee Johnson a very very well respected coach and manager very experienced in charge as well they need more signings I get that but I think having that structure in place makes such a massive impact and just changes everything about Sunderland from what we've seen over the last couple of years you look at the players who've gone there are very few that whilst I think plenty of them including Dobson and Maguire will go on and have a good time in League One they are the dregs of the poor spell of recruitment at Sunderland you know you've got so many centre midfielders being released you've got Dobson, Scowan, Power and Ledbitter all being let go for a free, for a free like how have they stockpiled these players over the last couple of years it doesn't make any sense and you look at the squad they've got now and their central midfield options Corey Evans Carl Winchester Elliot Embleton back back from his loan spell at Blackpool 
lovely. I mean, that's such a nice balance. Get one or two more in, probably someone uh, of a similar kind of defensive mindset to Evans. And that gives them a platform to enable their more attacking players to, to progress. You know, McGeady staying there for next season is big. Lyndon Gooch is a player who, again, when he's fit and playing well, he's he's very, very good. They need to replace White's goals. Who knows if it's going to be Ross Stewart or not, but they have at least got a striker there. And I still think that Will Grigg would do a very good job. As we saw in the second half of last season, Will Grigg is still a very, very good League One striker, um, if you know how to use him, as we saw at MK Dons. The loss of Sanderson from the loan spell is a blow, and you've got to be quite concerned that about the trust that Lee Johnson has in the other centre-backs at the club, given the fact that it was 0-9 in Sanderson for the majority of the back end of last season. Um, Callum Doyle, I'm fascinated to see what's going to happen with him, a 17-year-old Manchester City centre-back who's joined for, on a two-year loan. But I have no doubt that this squad is going to look very different by the time we get to the end of August. And I think we've seen we've seen that Sunderland at their worst in, in League One aren't far off being third and it's not going to take a great deal with the right processes in place, in my opinion, for them to finish third and just miss out on automatic promotion again. Right, right. Here we have it, the top two. Uh, we're starting with Ipswich Town. The new look tractor boys, George. This is a, a new atmosphere, a new era in the boardroom and it's flashy, it's exciting. There's a new energy about the place. Paul Cook at the helm with his big grin uh, there's a lot to get excited about here. It feels like we have spent the summer just constantly being slapped in the face by eye-catching <laughs> signings for Ipswich Town. It does. And and there's no denying that their signings are mightily impressive. And I think for anybody who hasn't followed this as closely, because we know a lot of people who listen to this, you know, we'll, we won't have their finger on the pulse necessarily when it comes to stuff. And we can't just assume you know who Ipswich have brought in. But like a list of the names is so impressive. I mean, there's Hladke, who was the best keeper in League Two last season for Salford, who's a great signing. Connor Chaplin from Barnsley is an unbelievable pickup, in my opinion. Uh, you've got Joe Piggott from Wimbledon, another striker. And the strikers don't stop there. Macaulay Bond's come in from QPR. George Edmondson from Rangers, who I think they spent about a million pounds on. Uh, of course, we have Scott Fraser from MK Dons, a player that I absolutely adore. Rakeem, uh, Rakeem Harper as well from, from West Brom. Cannot you know, wait to see him operating at this level. The future of West Brom about 18 months ago and they've, they've picked him up for half a million quid. Matt Penny, another one. Like these are all, they know what they're doing here. I mean, Wes Burns, I'm probably not as sold on as the other ones, but you know, this is a really strong side. Uh, whether or not it's strong enough to go from basically zero to top I think you've got to be very careful. I think so often we see this happen. I think we almost fell into that trap with Salford last season where you see this influx of signings and players who, you know, you're amazed they've been able to attract. But it doesn't but always could I, click Could I quickly. adapt a line that you said two minutes ago when talking about Sunderland yes. as weight behind our Ipswich prediction, which is Ipswich Town at their worst. And they were miserable. Yeah. Finished ninth yeah, yeah. last season. Totally. Totally. But the, But the thing is, the difference with this Ipswich rebuild is that you look to the Ipswich team at the beginning of last season and the beginning of the season before, and even though they weren't new players, you know, it was your Bishop, Dazelle, you know, all these guys who we thought were yes. Flynn, all these players that we thought were championship players. And it didn't kind of transpire that way. And for Paul Cook, the you know, it's the best job going in the EFL at the moment. He's got a new owner who has just given him a checkbook and said, just go and get who you want. Go and build the League One All-Stars. The pressure's going to be on. And we know, you know, we know what happened at Portman Road um, with Paul Lambert. 
I don't think he's going to be given that much time, especially because the back end of last season was dire. And Cook's way of dealing with that underperformance last season was basically to throw the players under the bus. If they don't get off to a quick start, I don't think he's going to have that long, given the support he's had to win people around. The good news for Ipswich fans is that we love Paul Cook and everything in, in his previous history suggests that he probably is the right man to galvanise this team together. I'd like to make the point that the last time he had a squad at this level, which was among the best at this level, he won promotion with a Wigan side, conceding less than 30 goals on the way. Yeah. Now, this this league looks very different now to, to how it did that year. That was the year that Blackburn and Wigan went up pretty comfortably. Shrewsbury were their only major challengers. And now, it's a, it's a different prospect, this, but that's at the back of my mind uh, as a positive. As a negative, there are some people who subscribe to the theory that Liam Richardson, as Paul Cook's long-term assistant manager, had a huge impact on all of the success that Paul Cook had in terms of the jobs that he carried out to allow Cook to bring his best bits to the table. So that is something to watch. Liam Richardson, of course, will be managing a, a promotion rival in, in Wigan. So um, who will back up Paul Cook? Will they be as good for him, as perfect a fit and a match as Liam Richardson clearly was? Um, that remains to be seen. That is one potential negative something to watch but I'm really excited about it um, as I say new atmosphere we're going to be getting down to Portman Road as soon as we can to watch Raheem the Dream Harper pull some strings uh, and I'm very very excited indeed top of the League One table we've got Rotherham United now whoop, whoop. <laughs> it might seem that we're just playing a game of sequences like you might have done in your early years in maths class which is relegated promoted relegated, promoted, relegated, and then added promoted. There's more to it than that. I've been finding it difficult because from early on this summer, from thinking about Rotherham United, I've, I've been really fancying them in League One terms. And the reason it's difficult is when you have that in your mind and you see a lot of other teams doing a lot of transfer business and a lot of talk about transfers in and transfers out and rebrands and refreshes, it's easy for your confidence in a team that will be mostly the same. It can get chipped away at a little bit in, in and amongst the noise. Now, my main thinking with Rotherham is I thought they were a decent championship side last season. So I think we've basically got a team that I'm confident in saying is a pretty decent championship side. Yes, one that really struggled to take their chances and often conceded some soft goals at the end of games. But I think in League One, they're a completely different prospect. I think they can let the shackles off a little bit. I think there's less of the tension that they had last season for various reasons. I think we know that as long as Paul Warren is refreshed and energised and at the end of every season he looks exhausted you think he's going to walk away by the time August comes around he seems up for it again as long as that's the case we know much more so than we can say about any of these other teams who are going through their big refreshes and rebrands we know that League One teams find it very difficult to play Rotherham under Paul Warren. They find it very difficult to beat Rotherham to hold them off because they attack with such intensity they are so much better defensively at this level for obvious reasons of, of the quality of the opposition. I just can't see how they would be not good. I'm so much more confident in them being a strong contender than any of the other teams with various question marks at this point. Now, as I said, I'm always a bit concerned that Paul Warren might run out of steam, but... He's the fittest man in football. He's the fittest man in football. His teams are generally the fittest in the division. I guess if you're a Rotherham fancier, you might fancy a few more faces being added. And so I do hope that we'll see that. But the back seven or eight, 
So the goalkeeper, defence, midfield looks class to me. Might be a little bit light in the centre of the park after Matt Crooks' departure, but there are a few names being linked that would make me very excited. I can't wait to see Josh Coyote. I think he's perfect for the way that they play. I think he could be a real breakout star in League One this season, having been on loan at Carlisle last season. So I'm all in on Rotherham United, George. We've got them as our league title winners. Yeah, to, to look behind the curtain for the listeners, I wasn't all sold on Rotherham. Last night we were finalising our 1-24 tables, sitting in a pub, Ali with a bottle of beer, me with a with a little whiskey, and Ali, <laughs> and Ali gave me his spiel about Rotherham, and within about four minutes I was all in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... Again, it feels it feels safe to be in the warm embrace of Paul Warren. Correct. You, you know where you are with him and you know that their team is going to be both incredibly difficult to play against due to their style of play and their fitness. And crucially, they were, as Ali says, a, a decent championship side last season who, with the exception of Crooks, haven't lost too many of their players. Dan Barlassa is another player I want to mention who was so good last time we saw him at, in League One who does give them that um, ability, that passing ability in the middle of the park and also brilliant set piece delivery as well um yeah i'm all in all all aboard the the rotherham train it's interesting because there's such a contrast between rotherham and um and ipswich in terms of how they operate and do their business this season um so it's interesting to have those two top two one is all about continuity and a bit of a yo-yo side the other one has just torn everything up and is starting again um that's why we love the efl i think they look yeah both very very solid picks for first and second looking at the odds as well in terms of promotion, uh, Ipswich are the, f- uh, the, f- the joint second favourites for promotion at 5-2, to two, alongside Sheffield Wednesday, who I mentioned earlier. Rotherham, 4-1 to one for promotion. And if you're looking at Rotherham just to win the division, as we have them there, you're getting a big price, getting 12-1 to one as well. Interestingly, another one to mention, top relegated team. So the three teams relegated from the championship. Sheffield Wednesday are the favourites at 11-10. to 10. Rotherham are top team, 13-8. to 8. And Wickham 11 to 4. So, any of you disgruntled Wickham fans who disagree with our top pick as well uh, might be interesting for you. But yeah, plenty of stuff up there on the Betfair Sportsbook. Find it all up on the site. Got two things to tell you about when it comes to Betfair as well. Firstly, an offer, uh, a multiples offer. So, if you bet £20 on multiples or bet builders, you'll receive a £5 free bet to use on multiples or bet builders. Terms and conditions do apply. You can find them on the Betfair site, but that is a multiples offer. And also, don't forget that Betfair have no cash-out suspensions on match odds for all EFL games. That's applicable to singles and multiples. So no cash-out suspensions whatsoever on Betfair when you're betting on match odds for all EFL games. Betting is for over-18s only. We ask that those listening, please gamble responsibly and never bet more than you can afford to lose. And last but not least, it's time to tell you about our giveaway. We are buying a season ticket for one listener of this podcast. And here is how you can put yourself forward to be the winner head to our twitter account at ntt20pod follow our twitter account at ntt20pod that is a crucial first step huge quote tweet the tweet which released this podcast with a review of our placement of the team that you support feel free to add any other major agreements or disagreements uh, uh, throughout league one you can be as kind or as rude as you like just quote tweet it and leave a review of our placement of your team in this podcast. Follow our account at NTT20Pod. 
We will be selecting a winner midway through next week, just a few days before the start of the season. And we will be buying that winner a season ticket to go to all home games in the EFL of the club that they support this season. We're so excited to be able to be in a position to do this giveaway. We think it's an amazing prize, even if we do say so ourselves. And we hope that you will be the one to win it um, because Lord knows we all deserve to be back in grounds watching the teams that we love. So one more time, quote tweet the tweet that releases this podcast with a review of our placement of your team. Any other major agreements or disagreements, feel free to add them in. Be as kind or as rude as you like and follow our account at NTT20pod to enter.